You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. Outdoor Edge introduces the all-new Razor Guide Pack. Coming in at 12 ounces and in a premium wax canvas roll pack for compact storage and travel, the Razor Guide Pack is seven blades in total, including a 5-inch replaceable blade folding knife, a 3-inch replaceable blade caping knife, and the flip and zip saw for wood or bone. Whether you're hunting the back 40 or chasing game deep in the backcountry, the Razor Guide Pack has it all. For more information, visit OutdoorEdge.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin-cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. Hey, thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of the Southern Ground Hunting Podcast, where you're going to hear a valuable hunting-based conversation that's tailored for us Southern folk. If you love what we do and would like to support Southern Ground Hunting, you can visit Patreon.com forward slash Southern Ground Hunting, or you can click on the link in the show notes below. We'd love for you to join the Southern Ground Hunting community today. Again, that's patreon.com forward slash Southern Ground Hunting. You can also support us by leaving us a rating and review on iTunes. It helps more than you know, and we greatly appreciate it. And now, let's get to the show. You know, I don't want to overstate, you know, my experience. You know, I've been hunting for a long time, and the last three, four years, I've had the chance to travel a fair bit. So I've been all over the country hunting. I bet I've probably hunted a dozen states in the last four or five years. When I, I tell you, I have never seen scrapes as big or as deep into the ground as I saw there this year. Like, like really impressive, man. Like it was, huh. it was really, it was really impressive. Like just, just jaw dropping. I mean, like as big, as big around, as big around as, as as large trash can lids if not bigger like venturing into the size of car hoods that were three and four inches dug into the ground golly that's i mean the the most I'm of that sign had to have been a week after, ago it was we after we left because we weren't seeing that it was yep we were we were 100 percent a week late like we were, we, we, and, and, and like, I, it's hard because, you know, you, you know how Alabama's rut is. It's all over the board. And, mm-hmm. you know, we came, I was doing my best between talking to you and talking to Jordan and talking to as many people as I could, I could thumb up to try to make sure that I was dialing it in on time because I felt coming out of last year, if we were just on time, we would, we would have like some real serious opportunity to put multiple bucks on the ground. And we were just, we were just a week, exactly the same thing as last year. We were a week, we were a week late. Um, we had a little, a little really hot action the first day or two. Um, but in general, it was, it was a, it was a, it was a busy week as far as deer sightings, a slow week as far as mature buck sightings, but tons and tons of signs. So. Yeah. And I've found, I have found to like what you guys are doing as far as going and y'all the last two times, which I guess before, before we get too far into this, I need to introduce you. This is Jake Lyshen. Um, Jake, you've been on one time before, right? Talking about travel hunting. Um, yep. Yep. Like one time before. Whole setup and stuff. So if you're not familiar with Jake, go back and listen to that episode. He's an awesome dude, but he and a group of buddies have come to Alabama for the last two seasons, right? Yep two seasons i wanted to pick his brain because he has a very interesting way of going about it jake you really do like you you do your research really well and you always seem to like 
after you, after one of these trips or during these trips, you call me and you tell me about all the landowners that you made friends with. And it even happened in North Dakota when I ran into you up there. You were like, yeah, I got permission on this property and this property and this one. Know the game warden. I'm going to his birthday party next week. And like you just got like <laughs> all these like really good relationships <laughs> with everybody around. And it's just a really interesting process that you go through. And I kind of want to talk through that. But we're just kind of recapping what happened this last week uh, here in Alabama. And yep. as we're as we're talking about, man, you saw tons of big buck sign. We're on deer all the time. But what I was going to say is, um, thing that I noticed is, especially in Alabama, like I've been to certain WMAs that you'll read on Facebook, whatever, on all the groups. Oh, there's just tons of pressure there, or uh, there's not that many deer there, or whatever. But if you hit it at the right time, you can go and you can really have a pretty dang good week because Alabama is actually one of the highest deer densities in the country. Strangely enough, they're just, they're just kind of, it's a, it's a different situation to try to hunt them. If you hunt them outside of the rut, a lot of times, if if you, if you're not there in that magic time, you're going to feel like there's no deer there. And I don't know what it is about Alabama. It may just be the thick cover, you know, hilly terrain could be it, but um, it's really neat to me to, to hear your uh, kind of your thoughts on uh, how to go about hunting places like Alabama, and it probably can help yeah, everybody think, else too. Yeah, so I, I think uh, I think you know getting started on that is just like I, I'll preface it with saying that you know we were a little late. You know, I, I touched on it earlier. Like we were a little late on the rut. You know, this year. And what I, what I learned last year coming into Alabama was, you know, or af, I say coming into, af, coming out of Alabama hunting last year, I felt really confident that at least on this specific WMA, pre-rut or rut would be my best time to catch a, a, a good buck in daylight. You know, we had a really good deer last year that was close. That I, I mean, we were real close to shooting, probably mid 140s, and I had him at, in bow range close, and another one of our crew ended up having him in bow range close, but he was always moving just before or after daylight, and there was just no way to get close enough to him to shoot him in daylight. I mean, he was just, he was, he was unbeatable unless you were in the right spot to catch him or he made a mistake, and, you know, I, I was kind of banking on being a little bit more on time this year and and you know once again alabama's (laughs) sporadic rut kind of took us by surprise and we were about a week late again but and and honestly that was it seemed to be statewide you know like yeah it, it seemed to be pretty much anywhere that i hunted it was off just a little bit in some places it was really like really dramatic dramatically off uh, then other places, you know, it was, you know, maybe a week or two later than it normally is. Uh, and I talked to a lot of people, you know, and I know you do too. And it seems to be pretty consistently said that this season rut was a little bit weird, especially in the South yeah, and, and I, a lot of the country even. Yeah. And I think, I think that, I think it was weird. I don't know whether this area of the state of Alabama is is a little less inclined to deal with what you and some of the other guys were telling me, but it, the rut, I feel the rut was exactly that because we hunted the exact same week this week as we did, or this year as we did last year, and it was exactly the same thing. I mean, I mean, to a T, and, and, and based on the fact that you had hunted two weeks before that, you know, I really feel like that midweek between when you were there and when I was there was just probably a five-day window of just it being on fire, which is yeah. what it seemed like last year when we were there. So yeah. now I'm pretty excited going into year three about coming back and knowing when to be there, like that mix of pre-rut-rut time frame. Um, you know, knowing that I can hit it on the head, it's just if work lines up, you know, um, yeah. because it's one of the things that's so interesting to me is I've been lucky enough to hunt a lot of places and I'm really, I'm typically pretty against the idea of bucks being nocturnal, but Alabama seems to have this weird 
thing where there's a lot of deer that tend to move well big bucks specifically where they they really are very very minimal in the, the amount of distance they move during the day and they will stay they will stay in some really gnarly stuff there where there's just no way to hunt them until it gets extremely close to dark i mean or or fully dark um and we got in on a really good one this year again and that was the same story was he just he was in a very specific thicket i mean dude he was living in like less than a half acre spot and he just would not move like unless you bumped him out of there he was not leaving in daylight was this a stand up was this another situation Um, where y'all saw him or bumped him on multiple occasions is that kind of how you figured it out and nailed it down no, we, we actually figured it out because he, so what, what happened was, and I, I think the, maybe the best way to do this is to like, talk about like kind of how the week progressed. Cause that's going to help give some context um, yeah. and it'll kind of probably keep me in line. So, so anyways, so to give everybody some perspective, we got there on Saturday evening. So we drove, we made the drive from North Carolina up on Saturday evening and Sunday was, you know, I always like to take the first day or even two days, depending on what I find. And all we do is scout. So all of Sunday, we just covered ground. We just walked every road we could walk. We looked for every bit of sign. Thankfully, it had rained pretty good Saturday night. So when we were walking roads, we were really looking for fresh cut tracks um, or we were looking for any any scrapes that had been made the morning um, of, of our scouting day. So we walked a ton. I mean, we walked hundreds of acres as much as we could possibly do. We blew as much stuff out, um, found tons of sign, actually like found a bunch of sheds, oddly enough. Um, and, uh, and, um, like good sheds too. Um, so, so anyways, good, good sign. Um, and, and got really confident going into Monday. So Monday comes around and we had pretty much isolated down where all of the big buck sign was to two specific regions on this property. So it w- they were split apart by a big drainage ditch and two separate main thickets. So we kind of figured they were two different bucks that were working two separate doe groups, doe groups because this place has no shortage of does. I mean, an absolute ton of does. So one of the guys in our group took one group, one spot, and I took the other spot. And we, we just, my goal then was in the place that I'm hunting, and I can't talk, I could give you a synopsis of what Chris dealt with where he was hunting that, that deer, but I, you know, I'm, I'm obviously not him, so I don't want to dive into that. So what I was running into was by narrowing down initially where I felt this buck was based on the sign that he had left the week prior, he was still hitting some of the more major hub scrapes that he was using to travel past. So if you think about like, think about just a square, like just a four sided square. And then imagine in the dead middle that there's a buck bedding right in the middle of it. Well, if, if he's leaving scrapes only in the southeast corner of that square, then it's a matter of finding out that's part of his predominant range that he's, that he's active in at some point. And, and we were using that activity to understand his travel pattern as far as where he was crossing to come back to bed. So what I like to do is, especially in places where bucks will run scrapes on roadways, is I like to walk those roadways after each sit during when I'm hunting and I'll monitor all those scrapes and I'll look at whether they were hit that morning or not when that buck came back to bed. So now fast forwarding through the week, by the time we started to get into the end of the day on Tuesday, um, going into Wednesday morning, the buck had hit specific scrapes going and coming two bed, three days in a row. So we knew exactly where he was going based on which community scrapes he was hitting 
and we could look at the size of the track that he was leaving, which was a four-finger walking track coming to and from that bed. Um, so now it's a matter of it wasn't whether he was there because there's only so many places he can bed within that block. It's just how do we get to him without alerting the other deer? And Parker, I know you have hunted the other areas around this WMA, but I don't know if you've been on this specific one. It's extremely thick, but thick in a really odd way. So it's very like, it almost feels like hunting North Florida in the sense of it's very, very oak heavy, but very thick, very short oaky, um, very dry in this particular spot. Um, and, uh, and, the, the thick stuff is surrounded by other thick stuff <laughs> that you can see really well through. Mm-hmm. So what this buck was doing was he was bedding in the thickest part of that. And then there were all these doe bedding areas that surrounded him in, in cover that you could see when you're standing up, it's hard to see through, but when you crouch, you can see for 300 yards. Yeah. So, so your, your approach was really difficult. Um, because you inevitably were bumping deer no matter what it was it was very hard so um it took a while to figure out how to actually get in on him without bumping him um but uh unfortunately we did not actually see him on the hoof like i wanted we were just we were just chasing his sign and he was in there he was in there every day we 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 would just you know, the option was either go in and bump him real hard and kick him up out of there, which I was afraid to do um, because it's Alabama and not the Midwest. I didn't. Yeah. I knew he would relocate altogether, and and I didn't want to have to relearn an entirely new spot. So I was figuring that we would kind of pinprick around him until we found out where his main exit trail was. And by the time we figured that out, it was closing in on the end of the week. It was, you know towards Friday, it was on, it was towards Friday, you know, which, which is why I'm a big fan of kind of leaning on more. I tend to find my success out of state is on day six or day seven on killing one. Um, not usually in a four or five day window, especially in places like Alabama, only because it's just, I feel like when you're hunting a really mature deer, sometimes it can take that long just to understand how he's leveraging the terrain and how to like actually make it work Um, yeah and and, you know and that i think that that's specifically southern deer um i mean obviously some people get some people get lucky here and there whatever um maybe they put themselves in the right position and luckily the a big buck came through that same day uh but i've had multiple times where i've gone to another state and set up on big buck sign and seen the buck that made the sign in Alabama it's just not very often that you can go and set up on that sign the first time you set up there that you get a shot at that deer a lot of it's just yep. learning um consistently learning now there are there are times where you're in the right place that's why i really like uh not so much banking on sign out here as i am the terrain and vegetation features um yep. they're just going to have naturally move deer through so even if there's not a lot of sign that doesn't mean i don't need them to stop in the area and do a whole lot i just need them to walk through um did you find uh did you find that to be the case for you guys this week as well like maybe i, I and i don't know this is the first time i'm hearing about it so i don't know if y'all had any actual like in-person encounters with big bucks but I'm just, I'd just be curious to know, like, kind of, um, I don't, I don't we, even know what the question would be. Like, I, I want to know if you guys were setting up on that big sign or if y'all were finding those features that funneled deer movement. Yeah, so it's a combination of things, right? So, like, so I agree with you in, in looking at terrain features. So th- this place, as you know, is pretty flat. Um, and, and so there wasn't a lot of, there wasn't a lot of like actual 
like hard terrain features that you would expect maybe in more central or northern Alabama, you're hunting real subtle things. So like a fire break would be a change in elevation for this place. So so the so the that being said, what the reason I was looking for sign the way I was was not it was just to it was just to narrow down his path of travel and then when we knew where he was going and coming from because it was like for example i wasn't expecting to to kill him over a scrape necessarily as much as i was i just wanted to know it's the tail end of the rut and i'm expecting that he's going to check on his way back to bed and leaving bed any big travel corridor scrapes that he can in the early morning hours or late at night and if he's doing that then I can I might be able to correlate where his bed is in relation to that because he's not going to hit every scrape in the area like he would in the peak rut but he's probably still going to work two maybe three within this circle of his within this circle of pattern that he's probably doing yeah and that that was what proved to, to be accurate. Now, that also, you know, to what you were saying, lined up with specific vegetation features. And what we found was he was tra- his route of travel, with the exception of a couple different open bottoms that he had to cross, which presumably were occurring in the dark. Other than those two open bottoms, one on the way out from bedding and then one or one after he exited bedding and then one on the way back to bedding that he was crossing in the early morning hours. Um, he was staying in thick cover the entire time, like his route to bedding and out of bedding. He was, he was 100% not visible to the eye. Even if you were within 25 yards of him, you had to be on his trail if you had wanted to see him. So, we we were hunting a lot of places where our visibility was fairly minimal. There really wasn't a lot to see. We were hunting a very specific trail where we had cut his tracks or we thought he was going on an exit trail or where we had found a fresh rub from the night before and we were kind of trying to determine where his path to and from bedding was. He also wasn't, en- he wasn't exiting bedding the same way he was entering. Um, you know, which, which was, which was what, what we ended up kind of figuring out wind dependent. So, um, every buck is different, obviously, but this deer specifically based on his path of travel, you know, once again, I preface, this is like, we didn't, we didn't, we were always a step behind him. So I'm basing this off of where his feet were, which is the one thing that doesn't lie that like we were following, basically following his tracks and his scrapes all week. So, um, but what he did was he was always leaving nose to the wind, essentially, was he was leaving bedding nose into the wind as he exited bedding to ensure that he was not going to get busted. So we had to hunt, we had to hunt very close to like just off wind to be able to get him. Like we were always cutting our wind right off of where we thought he was bedded. Um, you know, and it's, he was always moved. I mean, it, like, I, I don't want to be redundant, but I, I feel like it would just, it was so thick and so gnarly in there, you know, and on a four day window, um, to hunt him, it was probably a, a little bit more than was accomplishable in four days, unless, especially in post rut, which is what we were doing. Um, I think had we had you know, six, seven days, I think the odds of killing him would have gone up a lot more because you just learn the area a lot better. Um, but I feel like we learned it enough to know that if there's a big deer in there next year, he's probably going to do very similar because there's only a certain way that he can stay safe and be that old and live there if there's any pressure at all. Hey guys, as most of you know, censorship for hunters and anglers is completely out of control. So we've partnered with the social media platform Go Wild to combat the mainstream social media censorship. Go Wild was built by outdoorsmen and women just like you. Go Wild is a free social community. Not only are your photos not censored, they're actually encouraged on Go Wild. They give you points for things like sharing your trophies, gear reviews, and inviting other friends. 
as you earn points, you unlock awesome rewards too, like gift cards, free stuff like knives, huge discounts on brands like Garmin and Vortex, and so much more. And if you create a free account, you can unlock $10 just for trying it out. Visit GoWild.com to get started. Six Day Grind Coffee Co. is made for people like you. The ones out there grinding to reach your goals every single day. Whether it's 3 a.m. wake-up calls to get into the woods, or just getting through your workday, a good cup of high-quality coffee to start your day is imperative. When you buy from Six Day Grind, you not only get a great bag of premium roasted coffee, you also have the opportunity to support conservation through their Coffee for Your Cause program, where 10% of your purchase goes to the conservation organization of your choice. Check out sixdaygrindcoffeeco.com today. That's the word six, followed by daygrindcoffeeco.com. I've got a question for you, uh, I, and it's kind of just like a, I just want you, I want you to answer this um, truthfully. Uh, don't answer it with what you think is going to be the right answer, but really truthfully, do you feel like if you had not focused on this one deer and trying to figure out those, you know, just kind of uh, microscopic details about what he's doing, and you just hunted based on what you know about deer, what you know about how deer move through that area, through this, in this specific WMA, you feel like your odds would have went up if you wouldn't have focused so much on him as far as killing a, a deer that you would have been happy with. Do you feel like that was more achievable than trying to pinpoint a specific buck? Um, I think it's, no, not necessarily. And I, and, and the reason for that was, was after the first day, it was after, after our scout day, or I would say after the scout day on Sunday and then Monday, it was pretty clear that we weren't in the middle of the rut. Like, so, so for me, had we had between those two days, had it been very identifiable that it was just, just jam packed rut, rut was heating up and firing off. I think I would have sat way more traditional funnels, um, way more areas where I was expecting to just be on any deer versus my strategy in post rut is very similar to pre rut in that I find more success hunting a specific deer where it's like, okay, I'm going to put my, I'm going to find this deer. And it, once I find him, if it's within the first day or two, which it was again, I feel really confident about getting a crack at him as long as he moves during daylight or I don't make a mistake. Um, you know, which, which I did make a mistake this trip and we can talk about that. I made a mistake Wednesday afternoon and that was on me. Um, and that would have been but, on hunt day number, was that hunt day number two? Day number three. Um, okay. And, uh, um, and, and we made a push to go in and hunt him in a spot where we knew he was exiting. So we had cut his, some of his tracks coming in and out of bedding um, on, his, on an exit trail that was leaving a spot where we, we knew where he was entering by this point, And we should have, th- this, is a heart, this is a heartbreaking part. So we should have shot him uh, Tuesday morning. Um, or if it, yeah, uh, no, I think it was Wednesday morning, actually. Sorry. We should have shot him Wednesday morning. So we, on our scout day, one of the things that we found is on this one specific part of the property, it was pretty easy to see. It was like his path back to bed. Um, he was going out and feeding on these oaks on the North side of the property. And there were a bunch of does that were bedded up there. So he could go up, feed, check these does, come back. And he had thrashed a bunch of scrapes coming back into bedding. And there were tracks and signs that he was coming back through. It was a very specific thick funnel that crossed a roadway. And this roadway, he had laid down just absolutely giant scrapes on. I mean, monster scrapes. And, and we were waiting for the right time to sit that as far as the wind and, and, the, and just being able to get in there because we were – it was a long haul to get there. And, and on Wednesday morning, Tuesday night, sorry, it rained all night long. It rained all night until 
probably, I mean, it was still raining when we were going in. That's for perspective. As we got there, we were a little late. Um, you know, we were, you know, it's, uh, I mean, you know, we were having to use a boat to get into this place. So as we got there, like, we just had some some problems with with our vehicles and it was we ended up being late to the spot and we're we're now hanging right after gray light he had come in and hammered those scrapes in shooting light going back to bed i mean just demolished those scrapes right where we were going to hang um so it was raining enough to where i know he didn't he didn't he did not hit those scrapes before visible light. Um, he was just late to bed. Had we been on time, we probably would have shot him. Um, hmm. You know, so so. And you're not using you any know, cameras it, either, right? Like you're you don't have trail cameras up telling you any information. This is just just like no, straight no, woodsmanship, we did, we have, stuff. Yeah, we hung a trail camera for for kind of just giggles on a food plot to see how many deer were coming into a food plot um, while we were there. But this was completely separate from that. We we weren't hunting hunting a deer. We weren't hunt, We weren't like getting pictures or seeing the deer. Um, you know, I, I I don't even I don't even necessarily know. I'm not. I he could have been you know an eight point. He could have been a 150 inch deer. I don't know specifically. I know what his rubs look like. And I know the size of this track, which was four fingers wide. So, and I know the size of the scrapes, which I, you know, I think I told you earlier, Parker, his scrapes ranged anywhere from the size of like a trash can lid to the size of a car hood. And they were, you know, two to four inches deep, all of them. They, we, had we shot him, we'd already, we'd been joking about calling him the cereal bowl buck because he, he was carving the scrapes out deep enough to where it was like a cereal bowl. That's, honest to god what was going on i um, think it i think it's and, really cool um you know it, we, I'm trying to think of the right way to even talk about it there there's been uh chatter lately talking about cell cameras and and all that kind of stuff and i have my own opinions on things and i know you do too uh but one of the things that i really like about not using cell cameras is i like what we're talking about here in that you really don't have any idea what this deer looks like. You're, you, you have some context because you've hunted deer your whole life and you know what a big, a big buck track, it's probably a big buck. There's not a lot of small bucks with giant tracks running around. Um, and so you're just kind of using all the knowledge woodsmanship that you've learned to this point in life. And you're trusting it that it's telling you that's a big a big deer, and I think that's really cool because had you shot him, or maybe if you shoot him next year or whatever, um, it's like this this deer that you have hunted that you've actively hunted that you didn't even know what they looked like. You know what I mean? That's yeah, kinda... and I, I I think that's what's exciting too, though, is it's like that you know in in a day and age of like everybody knowing what they're hunting and knowing what's on a piece of property. Um, it's kind of fun, like having that surprise factor, you know, would you, would you consider it like, uh, it's kind of like an, it's kind of like internet dating, right? <laughs> um, yeah. cause you don't know exactly what they look like till you land that first date. <laughs> yeah. I, I, that's probably, that's somewhat accurate. I think it's like, it's, yeah, it's like, uh, it's like um, it's like going on a date with somebody. A, bl- um, a blind date. Know, versus, versus a blind date. There yeah. you go. Um, you know, so, so, and sometimes those blind but, uh, dates can, man, you go in with uh, low expectations and sometimes they'll, they'll prove you wrong. This is, uh, this is actually the start of Parker's new podcast. Southern ground dating advice. <laughs> Dude, I haven't been in the dating. I haven't been date, on dating date, scene in so long. I'm so happy about it, too. My gosh. Dating with Parker. A southern ground experience. Dating on southern ground. Golly. Sorry, I derailed us a little bit there. But I, I do think that that is a cool aspect to 
this style of hunting that you're doing is just you don't know, but you're committing to everything that you've Wanna, you've learned. You know, trusting that, trusting think, that instinct. Yeah, and I think there's things that guys can lean on, like you know, inevitably, in a lot a lot of if you're playing, if I play devil's advocate here, a lot of guys are like, well, you don't know if a buck is big enough, you know, by you know by a track or by a rub or. And, it, and you're, you're right, you know, a little yeah. buck can hit a big scrape, a big, a, a little buck can have a big track, a little buck, you know, I watched, you know, I had trail cam pictures this year in North Carolina of like a year and a half old eight point that was rubbing the biggest sign poster up I've ever physically seen. So it's not that they can't, they can't attribute to that. But the reality is, is like, I'm, I'm playing a game of odds when I'm reading sign and the odds are. Most big bucks are probably going to have a big track. Not that they can't have a small track, but they're probably going to have a big track. And most big bucks are probably going to make a bigger rub, at least a rub that's higher on the tree. So I'm looking for height on a tree and size of rub. And I'm assuming not that a small buck couldn't have made that, but that the, the odds are a bigger buck probably tackled that. Um, same thing with the scrape. You know, if you're looking at a scrape, Usually, in my experience, it's not that a small buck won't make a big scrape or won't hit a small scrape, but how deeply the scrape is carved out, to me, is usually an indicator of, of, um, of the fact that it's like it takes some gumption in that buck to be able to dig that dirt out. Like he's got some weight to his, to his scrapes, and he's probably hit it time and time again. Either that or, depending on location, it could be like a big hub scrape, you know? So... I felt confident going into hunting him that we, we were in the right place and I was keeping the rest of my crew aware of what I was doing and getting, you know, um, kind of like support in that I was making the right decision, which I think is not, it's not something, is not something to, to shy past is like, you know, I, I'm lucky enough to get to hunt a lot, but I do, I still question myself. I think everybody does. And I, I like to share information with people that I'm close to. Now, obviously not with everybody, but there are times where I'll just call up a buddy and I'll just be like, hey, man, let me paint the picture for you for what I'm seeing, you know, and I'll have them pull up on X and, and I'll sit there and talk to him about what I'm dealing with. And I'll see if like he thinks that what my decision is or or what she thinks is the right call, you know, and, and it's and it's that can be really helpful. Um, and usually I'm not running into a lot of like, Hey, you're making the wrong decision. It's more of like just, uh, reiterating that you're making the right call and it just gives you a confidence boost going into the woods. And, and, and I feel good about, I don't think we could have hunted him any better than we did this week. Um, you know, we missed, we missed our one real opportunity to kill him, which was that morning. I feel confident he was Everything in my in in my in the fiber of my being, based on the rain and how, like when he was there and the freshness of that scrape and how everything was laid down, he was there right at daybreak and we just missed him. That that's and that's on me. You know, I, we should have been there earlier, um, and he probably would have been would have would have taken a boat ride home, but but you know it it didn't work out. Um, you know, and then the following day. My, or the following afternoon, I made a mistake because we knew he was in there bedded down. Um, and once again, as if we didn't learn in the morning, we we just we ran out to go grab lunch instead of bringing it with us into the field. And then we were a little late getting back. And and as we were walking in, we had a doe bust us, um, you know, because we were getting set up later than we should have been. And uh, when she busted us, we tried to hop up in a tree quicker than we needed to on his exit trail out of bedding. And the tree that we were trying to hang a set in was just the gnarliest, loudest tree I have ever. It was it was just like whatever higher power was up there was not looking favorably on me trying to get my set on quietly on this day. Um, so it was... It was like, it was everything that could go wrong, went wrong, like, you know, and it, and it you know, lessons learned in, in, in being, you know, sometimes it's important, like, one of the things that I, I, I always tell people, and, 
I need to remind myself on occasion is even if you're running late to your stand, like it's better that you just pause and take a deep breath. And it's like, I would rather be hung quietly in the right spot at 4 PM than loudly in the wrong spot at 3:30. So just take your time for sure. Like be smart, you know, and, and, and um, everybody's inclined to make mistakes. You know, I definitely made a mistake and I'm, I'm fairly confident when we, when we made those mistakes, he was bedded within 75 yards of us as the, you know, and, and he probably got up and got out of there because where we were, there really wasn't much other people pressure. So I don't think he was getting hunted where we were hunting him very regularly, if at all, because it was such a brutal process to get in there. Do you want to know more about saddle hunting? Well, you can go to tetherednation.com for all your saddle hunting needs. Tethered is for saddle hunters, by saddle hunters, and they're redefining ultralight hunting. If you know me, you know that I love to have a system for all of my hunting equipment, where everything works together, and we preach about it a lot on this podcast. When you buy from Tethered, you can rest easy knowing that all your gear is designed to work together as a system. Saddles, platforms, ropes, climbing sticks, and a ton of other great gear just for saddle hunting can be found by visiting tetherednation.com today. That's tetherednation.com. Check them out. Everything you're talking about to me, you could almost do a whole podcast episode about the importance of your uh, whatever elevated hunting platform you use tree stand climber saddle whatever um the importance of being able to set that up quietly like oh my gosh dude i I don't know well you're from the south you've probably been on public somewhere and heard somebody climbing a tree with their climber i mean it's noise is the most underrated thing like everybody wants to be so critical of their scent and and that's a whole different ball game we won't go down that rabbit hole um, but I, I believe for, like firmly in my being, the number one thing that gets people ruined on killing deer is, is noise. Like I re- I really do like it without a shadow of a doubt, whether it's the noise in your set, whether it's rushing through the woods, being too loud when you're walking, whether it's popping sticks and not taking your time, like you're always better. If you play the wind, you can, you can for the most part, always win in the scent game if you're playing the wind. But if you're loud, it doesn't matter whether you smell good or smell bad. Like, <laughs> he can hear you, <laughs> especially yeah. inside of 100 yards, which is what you, you kind of have to be that close on some of these big deer. You know, yeah. the, the closest we got to him was on Friday night. We knew it was the last night of our trip, and we pushed in to hang. We hung we hung within 60 yards of where we thought he was bedded. And I'm fairly confident he got up out of his bed and stood in his bed within 60 yards of us right at dark because we heard, we heard a deer stand up right where we thought he was bedded. And, um, and it took us two hours to get in there <laughs> quietly, like two, like two hours. From the time we left the, the roadway, it was probably a 150 yard walk and we took two hours to do it and two and another probably 30 to 45 minutes just to hang the set. And the reason was, was because he's so, when they're in there like that, man, even though I knew he couldn't see us where he was bedded, um, you know, it, assuming he was there, like he's, he, he's so dialed in and, and it was so quiet and still any sort of odd noise at this time of year, especially in post rut after he's had, I think what this WMA's had four or six rifle weekends by this point and people are walking around and marching around. And he's in, he's definitely encountered people, whether it's been there or on the adjacent private, like he's not going to get up if he feels uncomfortable for yeah. any reason at all. Like for you know, sure. he's going to stay, stay locked in. So my job becomes, I know, I know without a shadow of a doubt, he's not moving until 30 minutes before dark. So if it takes me until 45 minutes before dark to actually get set up, if I'm just ninja quiet, then that's what I'm going to do. 
And the closest we got to him, you know, presumably, which like I said, we heard a, we heard a big deer stand up, um, you know, because of the, we heard him stand up and we heard him take several steps because of this, he broke some giant stick and we heard what we thought was like, this is a very specific sound when a buck is moving through thick cover and you can hear the brush hit his antlers. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, we heard that as he was leaving bedding. Um, and, um, so we think it, we think it was him, you know, but I don't want to act like we knew for sure, but there was a good deer that was in there and we were able to get in within 60 yards of him and hang a set and do it quietly, you know, but it just didn't work out in our favor. You know, he, he literally exited bedding the opposite side of the bedding area that we thought he was going to exit on and you know, just how the cards were dealt. If you had to, uh, if you had to, well, let me start this question by saying this for people wondering the the thing I find interesting about Jake's experience here in Alabama is, I mean, both times, Jake, you've come to me after the trip, told me about it, like finding really good intel, really good uh, getting on deer and seeing a lot of deer too, which is a big, another big factor. You know, you're able to come in as a non-resident and see a lot of deer um, while you don't, while this, the, the thumbnail image for this episode isn't going to be you behind a big giant Alabama deer. Um, you got closer, I believe, than most people coming as non-residents to hunt public land. And, and so I think that that's pretty cool. And that's why, I, you know, for me, I wanted to, to have you on the, on the show and do a podcast about this because I feel like I even learned things about hunting Alabama when I talked to you, you just you have a, an interesting perspective on things. So that being said, if you had to give one piece of advice to somebody looking to come to Alabama, Mississippi, Louisiana, um, any of these these kind of deep South states that tend to hunt pretty similar, what would you uh, what would you tell them? I think the most important thing that you can do um, is is to not underestimate the value of not only scouting at the beginning of your trip, but also scouting during your trip. Like it's so understated. Guys think that they can just go into a property and set up and just work your way through the property during the week or just sit and assume that you're going to see what you need to see. But there, there's, you're, you're hoping you're, when you hunt like that, you're just hoping for the best. You're not, you're not hunting based on what you know. And, and if you're going to be successful out of state, and this is not, I don't want to take credit for this. I've learned this from a lot of other guys that are much more successful hunters than me. And I've just been lucky enough to apply it to states that I hunt. And it works just as good in the South. Because when you go somewhere, you have to scout, like take a day or two. And I know it's hard. Because at times, like, you have such limited time to hunt, but you're better off scouting a day or two days, even if you only have three to hunt, and then hunting where you know you need to be than spending three days where you don't need to be. And, and man, it just, it just puts you in the game, you know, and, and the same thing applies for during your hunt. Like, my, one of my favorite things to do is to scout during lunchtime, like, if, especially if you're on a property where you can scout and not bust, bust deer, which is a lot of Alabama land that's roaded up. Like, man, just when you finish, you get out of the stand. If there's roadways that deer they're crossing or they have to cross, whether they're pine thicket roadways or even through oaks or whatever, just go walk the roads. Look for crossing tracks. Look for scrapes on roadways. Look for whatever it is that you need to find to identify if a deer's in there, especially in the morning like really especially in the morning because if you find him coming back into an area in the morning you can look at a map and pretty much figure out where he's at so that that would be my biggest piece of advice is scout scout before your trip on maps scout when you get there so that you understand the property and how to access it and then scout during the week between your hunts to understand what those deer are doing and how they're evolving not only to your pressure, but also to 
to just what that time of the year is doing because everything is going to continuously change and you need to evolve with it. Absolutely. I mean, you're talking about from the week that I was there. So in a three week period, you almost went into hunting like a completely different hunting tactic. Whereas I think most people would have thought, you know, I'm close enough to the rut. I'm going to hunt it like it's the rut. You know what I mean? Um, I know I get in the habit of doing that. If I go to somewhere new, I get in the habit of like, oh, you know, if it's two weeks after the rut, three weeks after the rut, I'm just going to set up like it's still rut. And so I think, you know, here in this little conversation, for anybody who's listening, uh, it's valuable information. Uh, I'm, I know for me, I'm going to put it to use. I've got one more deer hunt coming up, um, and it's a bonus buck hunt that's uh, it's taking place this weekend. And I'm going to go and do that and hunt. I can, for one day, I can kill a buck. And uh, even though I'm tagged out already. So I'm going to put this stuff to use, man. I really am. Lucky. It's good stuff. Lucky you, dude. I'm jealous. Can't wait. Can't wait to hear about the slammer that you killed. <laughs> I don't know, man. Uh, I've got a lot of days under my belt this season. I don't know that one more day is going to do a whole lot of difference. But I, uh, I'm going to try. I'm going to give it my best shot. Heck yeah, man. I'm excited. I'm, I'm right now. I'm just looking forward to 2020 fall, 2023, and getting back. And I think now, like two years of intel. Hopefully, I can strike at a better time next year, and uh, you know, just or or apply the same principles, you know, to a different part of Alabama. Who knows? You know, but I, I like, you know, I've told you, and I'll tell you, tell everybody else. It's like, there's Alabama is an awesome place to hunt. I've there is no shortage of deer. It doesn't mean that the big deer are easy to kill. That's that's an important thing to remember. But it's but they're they're available. Like they're there. You just have to work for them. Hey guys, thanks for listening to this week's episode of the Southern Ground Hunting Podcast. And as always, a big shout out to all of our partners. That's Go Wild, Tethered, Spartan Forge, and Six Day Grind Coffee Company. You can keep up with Southern Ground Hunting by following us on Facebook or Instagram or subscribing to the YouTube channel. And you can be sure to check us out at southerngroundhunting.com to pick up some of our merch, read some blog articles, and all that good stuff. I truly hope you enjoyed this week's episode, and we'll see you here again next week. Remember that God gave you dominion over the birds of the air, the fish of the sea, and the beasts of the earth. So go out and exercise that dominion. We will talk to you next week.